Good afternoon. It's good to see you guys. Um, if you guys have your Bibles, excuse me, we're actually going to be in John chapter 4. Sound level has arrived. All right, great. Thanks, James. Huh? Mark chapter 4. All right, sounds working better? All right, good. Actually, though, we won't, we won't use this. Oh. They said it worked better without, oh, okay. without the mic. Okay. Yeah. All right, hey, thanks for being patient, guys. We're just going to grab this, set this up. So if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20, grab your Bibles, um, and I'm going to grab the stand, and we're going to continue in our study through the Gospel of Mark and the preaching of the Word. One second. chapter 4 verses 1 through 20 we're going to continue through the gospel of mark but really quick i just want to just talk to you guys as uh, as our church i want to say thank you to jason and also rich uh they're the only ones that are here with me for moral support this is a, a new thing for us to just live stream the sermon and the message and uh, if i'm honest i don't really like it this way um, i think you know rich and jason would say the same thing that we we love the church that god is has allowed us to, to, to gather together. We love you guys at City Light Linko, and it's, it's not fun to miss out when we worship together and gather together. Uh, but we're thankful that, that God has given us these tools like technology and that we can use them to still share in the word together. And so uh, we're going to begin by opening up with prayer, uh, but just we wanted to let you guys know that even though we're not gathering this week, I'm still thankful that many of you guys have reached out through text message or through line. You guys are continuing to be the body to each other, calling each other, loving on each other. And that's really what we need, is in a time like this, we need to continue to be the body that Jesus has called us to be, using phones, using text messages, anything we can. So thank you guys for being faithful, to love each other well. Next week, which is Resurrection Sunday, Easter, the idea and the hope is that we will actually gather together here and at Top Church in the sanctuary um, as the body and worship Jesus and so please just be on the lookout for that. It's going to be next Sunday. Our, our hope and our plan is to meet here, have our physical gathering, unless something drastic happens. And as usual, we'll communicate with you guys through Facebook and through YouTube and through Line. All right? Well, thanks for joining us. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get started. Father, we thank you that you are a God who's big enough to travel through uh, technology that your word, that the gospel, God, is powerful enough. That technology isn't something that inhibits, God, your word going forward. But, God, it actually is a tool and a mechanism that we can use. Spirit of God, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to what you want us to say and what you want us to hear. Lord, I ask as we open your word that we would listen to what you say to us today, Jesus, in Mark chapter 4. And it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. Amen. So Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. If you remember last week, uh, Rich was preaching about the ministry of Jesus. And as Jesus is ministering to the crowds, as he's ministering in different places, what you'll find is that there's all different kinds of responses to the ministry of Jesus. Just last week, we saw that these large crowds gathered around Jesus and they're looking to be healed. They're looking to get maybe demons delivered. And then Jesus moved on. And, and what you find is that Jesus' own family begins to ridicule him, begins to criticize him. 
And then you have this huge altercation that happens with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, if you remember last week, they literally said that Jesus was doing what he was doing, not by the power of God, but by the power of Satan. And so here we find ourselves in the middle of this altercation, in the middle of this conflict, and Jesus steps onto this boat and he begins to teach. Let's listen to what uh, Jesus says. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, but the context for our whole sermon today is verses 1 through 20. So this is it. Chapter, chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and sat down. And while the whole crowd was by the sea on the shore, he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly, since the soil wasn't very deep. And when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce any fruit. Still, other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Then Jesus said, let anyone who has ears to hear listen. And when he was alone with those around him, with the twelve, they asked him about the parables, and he answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything comes in parables, so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive, they may indeed listen and yet not understand, otherwise they might turn back and be forgiven. What we want to notice about what Jesus does here is that Jesus, in the middle of his ministry, in the middle when he has this conflict with the Pharisees, in the middle when crowds are coming to him and wanting to get healing and want to see Jesus' miracles, it says that he got into a boat and he began to teach. And not only that, but as he got in the boat and he began to teach, if you read your Bible in verse 3, it says that as he was talking to them, it said, listen. In your Bible, it might have an exclamation point next to that word, listen. And this word is actually a really, really emphatic word. And what this word means in its original meaning is that it would be equivalent to someone in English saying, listen up, like pay attention. And what we want to hear and what we want to see that Jesus is doing is that Jesus is drawing everybody's attention to something. He's asking everybody to focus in on something. And what we're going to find out is he's saying, I want you to pay attention to how you respond to my word. As we listen to the story, as we go through the parable, what we want to notice is that Jesus tells you, he tells me, and he's telling all these crowds, he says that everything hinges upon not your response to my miracles, not your response to the deliverance of demons, but everything hinges upon your response to my word, to my message. And so Jesus tells us, He's going to describe four different kinds of soils. And so what I'd like to do is just to kind of break down each soil and each, each heart that Jesus gives us. And I want to talk about what it means for us and how we can respond to the message of Jesus. Jesus first says that there's this first kind of soil that the seed falls on. And he says this in verse 4. Some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Later on, if you, if you go to your Bibles, verse 13 through 20, Jesus actually gives us the explanation for each of these kinds of soils. This is great. 
a lot of times when you read Jesus' parables, uh, the meaning isn't always clear, and we have to prayerfully consider what Jesus is saying. But in the parable of the sower, Jesus gives us the meaning. And he says this in verse 13 about the rocky soil. He said to his disciples, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and some are like the word sown on the path. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Jesus said that sometimes when the gospel is preached, one response to the message of the gospel is a hard heart. You see, this path that Jesus was talking about, it was a path that many people would walk on. It was a path that, that, that carriages would ride on. And the picture is that something that's been beat over and over and over, time after time, it becomes really, really hard. And so Jesus said, when we're sowing the gospel and when the gospel message is preached, one of the responses of a person's heart is a hard heart. This is a person that has no interest in God. This is a person that maybe the more that you share about the gospel, the harder and harder their hearts get. And what I, what I love about Jesus' explanation here is Jesus says the backdrop for a hard-hearted person is actually the work of Satan himself. You see, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is that when we respond to the gospel out of hard-heartedness or when we don't respond to the gospel, Paul tells us that the enemy of our faith is actively blinding our mind and our eyes against the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That Satan is actively trying and attempting to hide our mind and our eyes from seeing the beauty of Jesus, from seeing the glory of Jesus. And so Jesus says, whenever the gospel is preached and people's hearts are hard, Satan is actively blinding their mind and blinding their hearts from realizing who he is and responding in the right way. If you don't believe me, I would just encourage you maybe just to go on the street and ask people what they believe about Jesus, and you'll see that this is true. You know, if you go and say, who do you think Jesus is? A lot of times what you'll get is, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. People respond and say that, man, he was, a, he was a miracle worker. Some people respond in indifference that, man, he's not actually worth very much. He was kind of crazy. Um, he was just a religious teacher. Some people respond in anger because they don't like the message of the gospel. And that's just a picture of this hard-hearted response. And that's a picture of Satan blinding people's eyes from seeing Jesus for who he really is. One of the most immediate things that we see in chapter 4, what I think is really interesting, is that last week we had the Pharisees. And the Pharisees told Jesus that actually what he was doing was by the power of Satan. And I think what Jesus is telling the Pharisees and telling these crowds is it's not me who's actually acting in the power of Satan. It's actually you Pharisees and your hard-heartedness that are being blinded by the power of Satan. That he's blinding your hearts from seeing me for who I really am, which is God in the flesh. I think one of the, one of the most obvious and probably um, often ways Satan uses to blind us from the glory of God and seeing Jesus is actually just religion. See, what religion says is that um, you can do enough good works and you can do enough to save yourself. And, and religion will step into your life and says, you know what, you're a really good person and I'm just going to give you the tools and, and, and you're going to take these tools and you can do enough to save yourself. But the gospel says something fundamentally different. The gospel says that you cannot save yourself. And so when you are preaching the gospel or when the gospel is preached and people that are tied up into religion and good works... There's a hard-heartedness there because no one likes to admit that they're wrong. 
People that are often in this, in this place of trying to save themselves, they don't like to be told that they can't. They don't like to be told that they're sinners. They don't like to be told that they need the grace of God and the mercy of God. And so Jesus says to these Pharisees, he says to you and me, he says that your hard-heartedness is just a sign that Satan has blinded you from seeing me for who I am. Jesus goes on and he says not only is there a hard-heartedness response to the gospel, but he says that there's another type of seed, or there's, the, there's another type of soil where the seed gets sown. And he says that in verse 5, it fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil and it grew up quickly. If you guys follow along, you go, you go over to verse 16. Jesus explains what this is again. And he says, others, this is verse 16, others are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. But when they have no root, they are short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. And what the Bible is telling us is not only is there a hard-hearted response, but Jesus is telling us there's also a shallow heart, a shallow response to the gospel of Jesus. You know, as, as Jesus is teaching in this parable, I think what Mark is, is, is wanting us to remember is the crowds. And, and, and you know what's interesting is if you trace the crowds through the gospel of Mark, you're going to see a very, very clear picture of a shallow-hearted response to the gospel. And so what I did is I, I just took every time Mark mentioned the crowds, and I walked through it in the Gospel of Mark. And this is what you'll find. In the very beginning, in chapters 1 through 3, the crowds are just, they're, man, they're coming to Jesus, right? They think that he's the best thing to come on the face of the earth. He's healing them. He's delivering them, right? He, he's, he's teaching them with authority. And even here in chapter 4, this very large crowd is around Jesus. If we move forward in the gospel, in chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus said that he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. In chapter 8, verse 2, Jesus said that he had compassion on the crowd again. And in chapter 8, verse 34, he was looking at the crowds and he said, calling the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So up until that point, the crowds are following Jesus, the crowds are listening to Jesus, the crowds are, are seeing what he has to say, the crowds are interested in getting healed by Jesus. But then look what happens in chapter 15. In chapter 15, verse 11, this is what the Gospel of Mark says. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd. He stirred up the crowd so that they would release Barabbas instead of Jesus. And in chapter 15, verse 15, this is what the Gospel says. It says that wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. After having Jesus flogged and tortured, he handed him over to the crowd, to this mob, to be crucified. How does that happen? I mean, how does it happen where the crowd in the beginning loves Jesus, is following Jesus, is getting healed by Jesus, but by the end of the gospel, it says that Pilate is wanting to satisfy that crowd, so he crucifies Jesus. This is what Jesus is saying is that if you just come after me, if you just want me for what I can do for you or how I can fit your needs, it's a shallow-hearted response. And Jesus says when push comes to shove, when there's pressure from the Pharisees, when there's pressure from Pilate, the crowd folded. And they said, you know what? Jesus isn't actually worth following. Jesus isn't worth all the trouble that we're going to actually have to endure for the sake of following him. And so what I see in the crowds and what we have to pay, what we have to, I think, listen to 
is the very thing that drew the crowds to Jesus was the very thing that caused them to betray him in the end. I want to say that again. The very thing that caused the crowds to be drawn to Jesus is the very thing in their hearts that caused them to betray him in the end. And this thing was personal comfort. They wanted Jesus because they wanted his miracles. They wanted Jesus because they wanted him to fit their needs and meet their needs. And not that that's bad, but when that's your priority and that's first place in your life, that's the thing that you're going to fight for. That's the thing that you're going to make everything else bow down to. And so at the end of the Gospel of Mark, the crowds handed over Jesus because he could no longer fit their needs. He could no longer be used to meet their physical comfort. And so Jesus says, beware. Do you have a shallow heart? As I was thinking about this idea of the shallow heart and uh, the, the crowds being shown in the Gospel of Mark, I thought about Taiwan. You know, Taiwan is a very group-oriented culture. And many of my friends, they told me, you know, in Taiwan, you don't like to be the nail that sticks up because if you're the nail that sticks up, you get hammered down. No one likes to stick out. You like to follow along with the crowd. You don't like to, people up, you don't like to make people upset. But what Jesus is saying here is what he's calling you to, and I to do is even if the crowds are going one way, that we're called to follow Jesus and deny ourselves and give all that we have to follow him. Jesus says that this, this kind of soil it says the reason that the word of God is ineffective is because it has no root. It has no root in it. You see that when it says this in verse 17. But when they have no root, they're short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately fall away. Whenever the New Testament, the Bible talks about a root, more often than not, it's talking about our hearts. And so this kind of soil, this kind of heart, when the gospel is preached, what Jesus is saying is that it kind of just stays up here. In a real shallow, shallow kind of way. But it never enters their heart. It never reaches down and changes their heart. And so because of that, when persecution comes because of the word, they fall away. That's a shallow heart. So Jesus says, responses to the gospel, number one, is a hard heart. Number two, is a shallow heart. But number three, he says there's another type of soil. If you look down here at verse 18, Jesus says, other seeds are like the seed sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Man, more, more, off, more, more probably than ever in my lifetime are we entering into a season where this kind of soil is so, so pervasive. And the temptation is to be like this kind of person. Jesus says the things that choke out the word are number one, the cares for this age. This word that Jesus uses to say choke, it's actually a word that means to crowd out. And so what Jesus is saying is that in this person's heart, the cares of this world, the cares and the anxiety and the worries, it literally crowds out and pushes down the word of God. That these are the things that fight for first place in your life when the word of God is supposed to have first place in your life. And Jesus says, if you are a person or if I'm a person where all we care about are the cares of this age, what he's saying is that you don't really believe that there's an age to come. That these are the kind of people where they say to you, they say to me, you know what, let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That this is the kind of heart that they're so bound up in the cares of this age that they can't imagine living life for an age to come. But the gospel and following Jesus says that there's eternal life. 
And so he's called us to live, not just for the age now, but for the age to come. And so Jesus says one thing that chokes out that word is the cares for this age. Number two, the second thing he says that chokes out this word and this cluttered heart is he says it's the deceitfulness of wealth. The deceitfulness of wealth. Man, I mean, right now, in our current situation, this is so true. You see, because what, what sin and what Satan do is they promise things that they can't deliver. Sin and Satan promise freedom, but they only bring us bondage. And what Jesus is saying is that there is also this deceit. There's also this lie in this belief of financial security and this belief of financial stability. I mean, at the beginning of 2020, you guys, things were looking really good. The economy was great. Um, unemployment here in Taiwan, but also over in the West, it was looking better. Global stock markets were rising. And all of a sudden, this coronavirus hits, and everything has changed. Everything's changed. 6.65 million people in America have filed for unemployment. Global stock markets are crashing. Airlines have shut down. Airlines have gone bankrupt. Travel agencies have gone bankrupt. And I'm sorry if this affects you and your family. I mean, my heart and Jesus' heart is to bring you comfort. But the reality is what Jesus is saying is that there's a deceitfulness if we place all of our trust, all of our hope in the hope of riches. You know, a great, a great example of this, I think, in the New Testament is the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler approaches Jesus. He's impressed by what Jesus is saying. He's intrigued by the gospel. He's a man that has power. He's a man that thinks he has it all together. And so he says to Jesus, he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, all my whole life, I've been able to basically work for what I have. I've been able to get what I want. What must I do? Come on, just, just give me the rules. Just give me the things I need to do because I'm sure since I'm successful, I could do this on my own. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so then Jesus responds to him and he talks about the law and the commandments to which the young ruler says, I'm good. I've done all those. And then Jesus hits the young ruler where it hurts. And he says, I want you to go home. I want you to sell all that you have. I want you to give it all to the poor. And I want you to follow me. And the young rich ruler walked away sad. For he is a man of great wealth. Guys, right now I think we're living in a time where this idea of stability, of comfort, of financial security is just being shown to be a false hope. In Revelation uh, chapter, in Revelation chapter, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus comes to a church called Laodicea. And I think this is so true for the church, too, because at the church, we can also live really comfortably. And Jesus comes to this church and he says this, For you say I'm rich, I've become wealthy, and I need nothing. But then Jesus says, You don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And what is happening right now is this false veil, right? That we are rich, that we are wealthy, that we don't need anything. It's being stripped away. And what's being discovered is that we are wretched, that we are blind, that we are poor, and that we are in need. This kind of heart is called a cluttered heart. Cluttered by the cares of this age, cluttered by the deceitfulness of wealth. But then Jesus says it's not just that thing. The other thing that can also choke out the word in our hearts he says it's just desire for other things. And what this means is that there are other things. It could be good things in your life that are choking out the word of God. And these are just things that you're putting above Jesus, that you're putting above God. 
You see, Jesus knows that our human hearts were made to worship. So we worship anything and everything, right? If you've ever been around like a sports fanatic, you'll see that people can worship anything and everything. You can worship games, you can worship sports, you can worship sex, you can worship your job, you can worship health, you can worship anything. And so sometimes these desires for other things that Jesus is talking about are good things. It could be your family, it could be your spouse, it could be your kids, it could be just, just making sure that you keep your family safe, it could be planning for the future, it could be ministry. But these desires for other things, if you're putting them above Jesus, Jesus says it chokes out the effectiveness of the Word of God in your life. And so Jesus wants you to repent. He wants you to respond. You know, even right now, um, what I think is really great about the New Testament is that the New Testament doesn't say that we will not have anxieties or that we shouldn't have fears or that we shouldn't have cares. 1 Peter 5, 17 says this. It says that we're supposed to cast all our cares on him because he cares about you. So the question is not whether you're going to have worries of this age or whether you're not going to have desires for other things. It's what do you do with those cares and what do you do with those desires? Do you bring them to Jesus? Right now in your life, do you feel like the word is being choked out because all you're doing is checking your Facebook feed? All you're doing is checking the news and the media about the, everything that's going on with the coronavirus. And then that fear just begins to seep in and it's choking out the word of God in your heart or in your life. David Platt says this. He says, you and I need to remember that our homes and our health and our bank accounts and our vehicles and our jobs and our comforts in this life guarantee us nothing. They guarantee you nothing in this world. Nothing. So here Jesus lays out a problem. He lays out a problem because he says all of these hearts, the hard heart, the shallow heart, the cluttered heart, all three of these kinds of hearts are hearts where the word of God proves to be ineffective and unfruitful. A verse in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 2, God says this to the people of Israel. He says this, My people have committed a double evil. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked and broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jesus is saying here, stop running to things that can't save you. Stop attempting to save yourself and putting your hope in something that can't save you. And he tells us this parable as a way to respond, as a way to hear the good news of the gospel. And so, what do we do? Jesus tells his disciples up here in verse 10 through 12. Let's read this together. Jesus tells this, his disciples what the point of this parable is. He's going to tell us how we're supposed to respond to this parable. He says this, when he was alone. I want you to see that. There was a very large crowd in the beginning of chapter 4, but all of a sudden, after Jesus says this parable, people just checked out. They're like, all right, bro, loved your miracles, love what you did with the demons, this kind of stuff, I'm not in it. And they checked out. And it says that he's alone. It doesn't say that he withdrew. It doesn't say that he drew away to the mountainside. It just says that he was alone. And it says those around him with the 12 asked him. You see, this, this, this opportunity for everybody here, everybody to hear the secret of the kingdom of God to be given to them, it was available for everyone. But these people were not interested in that. And so Jesus tells his disciples the right response to the listening of the message of Jesus. And he says this, verse 12. 
so that they may indeed look and yet not perceive. They may indeed listen and yet not understand. Otherwise, they might turn back and be forgiven. Jesus' answer, Jesus' declaration here, it says this, the proper response to my teaching, the proper response to my message, it looks like a turning back and belief. It looks like repentance and faith. That my message, that my declaration about the kingdom of God and who I am, it's meant to change your life. And you're meant to respond in repentance and in faith. You know, C.S. Lewis said this. He said, um, if people respond to the gospel message in joy, he understands that. Joy and, 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 and in love, he understands that. And he said, if people respond to the gospel message with anger, he understands that. The only response that doesn't make sense is indifference. Apathy. He says, if you respond to the message of Jesus with indifference and with apathy, you don't understand what he's actually talking about. And so Jesus says, the response that I'm looking for is a response that looks like repentance and faith. If you guys have ever, uh, have ever you know, if you've ever driven a car down the wrong way or down a one-way street, what happens? Is as you're driving the car, you turn, there are these signs, right? Wrong way, wrong way, one way, one way. And we would be foolish to continue to drive down that street not thinking that something bad was going to happen. Not thinking that it was warning us for a reason. And Jesus is saying that my parables are the same way. My parables are meant to be this warning to you. They're meant to, 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 to call you to turn from worshiping these other things that can't save you and put your faith and hope in me. But there's a problem. The problem is this. Jesus says the only heart, the only soil that produces fruit is a good heart. It's a good soil. See what Jesus says in verse 20. In verse 20, Jesus says this, And those like seeds sown on good ground hear the word, welcome it, and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what is sown. The word good that Jesus uses here, it actually means of noble character. It's an outward sign of an inward good. But there's a problem. That's not you and that's not me. That none of us have this good heart in and of ourselves. So something has to be done to us. And so Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple who produces fruit, if you want to be a disciple who produces fruit and obeys me, he says you need a new heart. And so Jesus says that the point of his parable is not necessarily, um, the point of his parable actually is to call us to pay attention to how we listen to his message. And so Jesus says, you have to have a good heart. But what do we do? What do we do with that? We can't make our hearts good in and of our own selves because the reality is, is that every single one of us, we have a hard heart. We've had a cluttered heart. We have a shallow heart. But what do we do with that? You know, if you, uh, if you, ask, if you ask people in Taiwan, if you ask them, you know, what, is it, what does it take for me to become a Taoist? What they're going to tell you, and I've, I've done this, what they're going to tell you is, Oh, well, you need to just start doing the things that Taoists do. Read their books, maybe go to the teaching. But you just need to start doing and live the life that they ask you to live. If you ask a Buddhist, like, what, what do I need to do in order to become a Buddhist? Well, you need to start doing the things that Buddhists do. You need to start reading the books and start living that kind of lifestyle. And many times as Christians, when we see this kind of problem that we need a new heart and we can't produce fruit, we do the same thing. We tell people, 
oh, well, in order to be a Christian, you just need to start acting like a Christian. Just start doing these certain things. Just start reading these certain books. But that's not the gospel. The gospel does something fundamentally different. It says that you and I actually need a new heart. And every other religion, every other philosophy will tell you that you can change your heart. The gospel says you can't. And so guys, as we look at this parable and as we look at this story, I think one reaction that many of these people would have had, and I think if you're a farmer or if you grew up in, the, if you grew up in, a, in an agricultural type of setting, what you're going to ask is why does the farmer waste his seed? Why does the farmer take this seed? Why does he throw it on, on rocky ground? On, on something that he knows is not going to produce any type of crop. Why does he take his valuable seed and why does he, why does he throw it on, on a shallow soil that's not going to produce anything? Why does he take his seed and he throws it among the thorns? Why does he do that? In fact, in the Old Testament, God told the uh, Israelites, he says this, he says, do not sow among the thorns. But the beauty of the gospel, the, 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 the amazingness of the gospel is that's exactly what God does. See, God takes his son. And you could ask the same question. Why would God send his son to a group of people that would kill him, that would reject him, that would respond with indifference? Because it's the only way. And it's the only way that these hard hearts, shallow hearts, indifferent hearts, cluttered hearts become a good heart. That Jesus is the seed that goes into the ground and dies for us in order to bring us resurrection life. See, Jesus is the word that gets sown and God sends his son and, and Jesus dies for his enemies so that we might become the children of God. The gospel says something different. In Ezekiel, God says this, I love this. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe all of my law. God's word, you guys, I want us to hear this. God's word doesn't give us just a new teaching. God's word gives us a new God's word gives us a new life. That's the power of God's word. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, some of my favorite verses, God says this, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed, and see, the new has come. There's new soil. There's new hearts. So the power of the gospel and the power of the God's word is this. Who can break a hard heart? Who can soften a hard heart? Who can take a, a shallow heart and, and turn it into to being this depth of, 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 of knowledge and wisdom and grace? Who can take a cluttered heart and give you new desires that are desires after him? You can't do it. I can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. So what Jesus is saying to you, what he's saying to me, so you need to pay attention on how you're listening to my word. That people who hear the message rightly respond in repentance and faith. Faith in a God who can take hard-hearted men and turn them into lovers of Jesus. 
Faith where God can take people who are shallow and indifferent and turn them into teachers of God's word. People who are choked up and choked out by the cares of this world. God, by the power of the gospel, can take those people and turn them into people who give their lives for the sake of Jesus. Just this past week, we were in our gospel community. And one of, people, one of, the, one of the persons in our community, she shared her testimony. And as she was sharing her testimony, she, she's, uh, she's Chinese, and she was sharing about how when she first kind of got introduced to the church, a lot of people were asking her to come out and go to church. And as she would go to church, her mom would be adamantly against this. You see, her mom was a widow. And so uh, when the church would come around and ask this, this individual to go out, her mom felt like she was kind of losing her daughter, that she wanted her to spend more time with her. But as time went on, she continued to go out and be with her friends and hear the gospel. And sure enough, she gave her life to Jesus and she became a Christian. As she was talking to her mom, she was telling her about the day when her baptism was going to come. This beautiful celebration of a new life. And her mom told her, I'm not going to come to that. She was so angry that she's not going to come to that. And so the day arrived when the, when the baptism celebration was there. And this individual was sitting in the church, and she was waiting, and she turns around, her mom's in the back. She comes. And so she's getting a little excited, but then she walks, and she sees her mom walk from the back all the way to the front, and she gets in the face of the pastor, and she says, I am angry at you because you stole my daughter away. It's a hard heart. But then watch what happens. The mom goes back and sits at the back and watches this ceremony, this amazing thing where she gets to hear the testimony of people, I'm sure, sharing about how the gospel has transformed them. She gets to see her daughter get baptized. And by the end of that service, her heart had already began to soften. And guess what? Later on, that was just a process of the grace of God working in her life so that now that she is a disciple of Jesus and she's given her heart to the Lord. See, that's the power of God's word. That's the power of the gospel that it can take hard hearts and it can soften them, it can break in, and it can transform them to believe in Jesus. So Jesus says to you and me, he says, pay attention to how you hear. Are you hearing the gospel rightly? Because the problem with what Jesus is seeing in his ministry is that everybody heard. Everybody heard the same message. He said, but there are some people whose the message, they just entered their ears, but it hadn't traveled to their hearts. And that something else or someone else was controlling this control center of their hearts. And it wasn't the gospel. And so Jesus said, I need you to listen up. And I need you to pay attention and respond to my message through repentance and faith. J.D. Greer says this. He said, being able to articulate the gospel with accuracy is one thing. But having its truth captivate your soul is quite another. And so I want to ask you. How many times have you heard the gospel? How many times have we sat under the teaching of God's word? If you look at the parable, the amazing thing about it is it's very clear that God's word is what's doing the work in the human heart. God's word enters in and produces fruit. How many times have we sat under the teaching of God's word? I mean, the, the fact is that Jesus says that you and I, we have a responsibility to even how we listen to the word of God. Are we listening rightly? Are we allowing the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to convict us, to change us, to mold us, and to make us fruitful disciples of Jesus? You know, if I'm honest, in my own life, when I see unfruitfulness, 
my excuse is definitely not lack of opportunity. What's really happening, and I'm not listening rightly to the word of God. So man, I, I want to I ask you, how are you hearing the word of God? How are you hearing and responding to the message of the gospel? You know, I'm an American, and right now I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed, if I'm honest, about what's happening in America. I'm grieved, I'm sad, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely sad about the state of what's happening in America with the coronavirus. But if you look back a couple of months, um, what you'll find is that whenever they started talking about how dangerous this virus could be in America, um, people took the uh, getting off work and job shutting down not as a time to actually have shelter in place and be careful and be protective. A lot of people took it as a time to go party and go on spring break. They weren't careful in how they heard. And this is the thing. When danger was near, they acted as if everything was fine and they didn't respond to the warning. When they heard this warning about the coronavirus, they didn't respond rightly. And because of that, worse things have happened. And guys, my conviction, and I think my heart is burdened because as bad as plagues are, as bad as viruses are, I know that hell is going to be much worse. Are you, are you just living your life as if everything is fine and you're not responding to this warning, this message of Jesus that says, if you really heard my message rightly, you would repent and put faith in me. Think about the love of God. That God sent his son, that he sowed his seed on rocky ground, on shallow ground, on cluttered ground, in thorns, in bristles, so that those kind of people could be turned into disciples and his children. Are you hearing the gospel rightly? This is the time to respond to the gospel message. I think it's an honor to be able to preach the gospel in a season that we're living in. If anything, one good thing that's come out of this coronavirus is we're all more aware of imminent death, that our time is short. Someone said to me recently, he said that his kids don't even realize that chickens have to die for their chicken nuggets. You know? It's like we don't get death. We don't understand that death is something that is a part of our life. And because of that, we can usually put things off and we think that everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be fine. But Jesus comes with this parable and says, if you have ears to hear, would you listen to what I'm saying to you? Would you listen to what I'm saying to you? That God sent his son for hard hearts, for shallow hearts, for cluttered hearts. And that on the cross, Jesus took all of our rebellion, all of our disobedience, all of the judgment that we rightly deserve. Jesus took it on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to bear that. But if you go on living your life rejecting this warning, thinking that everything is going to be okay, there will be a day when you have to come face to face with God. And you're going to be like that person that continued to drive his car down the street even though there was warning sign after warning sign after warning sign. God's going to say to you, I gave you warning after warning after warning, and I gave you my son. He said, Jesus' death and his resurrection has allowed us to become reconciled to God. So that no longer are we sinful, but we're made righteous. And so how are you hearing the gospel message? Pay attention to how you hear. And so Christians, if you are a believer in Jesus, I think we need to emulate what Jesus does. 
and what God does. That we continue to share the gospel with people. Um, Taiwanese, I know that right now you're probably on vacation or you're maybe back home with your family for Qingmingjie. And I know that a lot of times you can, you, can, you can think that when you're sharing the gospel with your friends or maybe with your families, that it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's you're the problem. That you're defective because they're not responding. Or maybe you can think that it's the message, that the message is wrong. And so maybe you try to change the message, but it's very clear that Jesus says, you're not the problem. The message of the gospel, if you're preaching the gospel, is not the problem. It's the human heart that needs to be changed. But I want to encourage you, continue to, to live your life in the way that Jesus did. Jesus spent all of his time with people who rejected him, who were indifferent to him. So we as Christians, we continue to spread the seed of the gospel widely, believing and knowing that there will be people who respond to the gospel rightly, and they'll be transformed into disciples who produce 30, 60, and 100-fold the fruit of the gospel for the glory of God. You know, I shared that story about our friend and our community, about her mom being transformed, but that doesn't always happen. Jesus here says that only one out of the four soils actually responds to the gospel. But disciples, Christians, we do not want to lose heart. We want to continue to share the gospel and trust that God, by his sovereignty, through the power of his spirit, is going to resurrect hearts. And that we will see a harvest here in Linko, in Taiwan, in the world. I really believe that what God is doing right now is he's, he's basically calling people in the same way that Jesus did. And he's saying, listen up. Listen up. Right now is a time we need to listen to God's word. We need to respond to the message of the gospel. Just recently, someone shared with me a video. And in the video, you're going to find that throughout the world, there are these countries and these cities where they're going out to the streets and they're on their knees and they're on their faces begging God to save them, to heal them, to help them. That's a proper response. That we would cry out for mercy, we cry out for the help of God. But not only do we need to do that, but we need to respond to the help, to the love that he's already given us in the gospel, in God's Son, Jesus. So finally, I just want to ask you a couple questions. Are you listening to this right now and you've not responded to the message of the gospel? I hope you've already heard me, but I would implore you and I would plead with you. Jesus would plead with you saying, repent, turn back so you can be forgiven. Respond to the good news of God's love for you, that he sent his son, even though we don't deserve it. Have you done that? Would you respond in repentance, which is turning from what you're worshiping and putting your faith and hope in Jesus' death and resurrection? Or, if you're, if you're a believer in Jesus, the truth of the matter is, is that all of us, at sometimes, we still, have these kinds of, we still have these kinds of hearts inside of us, don't we? Sometimes we have a hard heart. And so the question to ask yourself is, where is your heart hard right now to the Word of God? You know, where, where is God trying to bring conviction in your heart or in my heart? And we're resisting. And our heart is hard. Where is your heart maybe shallow? Where, where the things of God are just kind of staying right here, right? And, and, and you really haven't allowed them to go deep and deep and deep to the root, which is your heart. And then finally, where, where do we have cluttered hearts? And where do we have cluttered hearts? Guys, this is a time that God wants his church to rise up to be effective disciples. But if you and I have these cluttered hearts that are choked up by the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things, man, we will miss our opportunity to rise up and to really be the church that God has called us to be. So where is that for you? Where is that for me? Well, guess what? We get to repent and believe again in the good news of the gospel. 
So number one, are you a Christian? Have you responded to the message of Jesus? Number two, if we are, where are these kind of hearts inside of us as well? And then finally, the last question, and I think the last thing I put before you, is what we said before. It's clear that the Word of God does the work. And so here's the thing, is that you and I are not called to go and plow the ground of people's hearts. We're called to sow the Word. So husbands, you and I, we're not called to, to break the hard ground of our wives' hearts. We're called to sow the Word. How are we preaching the word and communicating the word to our wives so that the word would take effect and change their hearts? Wives, how are you doing that with your husbands? Parents, how are you doing with your kids? Man, I think as a parent, you feel like it's your job to transform your child's hearts, but it's not. It's our job to speak the word into their hearts and allow the power of the word to have its effect and change their hearts. How are you doing with your friends? Sometimes we feel the weight of trying to save our friends and change their heart, but it's not. It's very clear that we're called to sow the word and watch what the word does in the hearts of people. So Jesus finally, he just says, pay attention to how you hear. Be careful. That there's a responsibility that, that we have to respond to the message of the gospel and to God's word. I pray that as you hear this, as you listen to this, I pray that the spirit would give you the opportunity, give you the grace, give me the grace to be disciples who respond to Jesus' word through faith and obedience, and that we would see a harvest here in Linko, in Taiwan, in the world, as we see the power of God's word creating more and more disciples for his glory and for the name of Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll be done. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your word. God, you say that your word is authoritative. You tell us that your word goes forth and it accomplishes what you want it to accomplish. That it never returns void. And God, it's clear as well in Scripture that your word softens some hearts, but it hardens others. And so, Father, I pray that by the power of your Spirit, would you supernaturally allow us to have ears to hear. That we wouldn't just hear with our ears, but we'd hear with our hearts, God, what you're saying to the church. And I pray if anybody's watching this or if anybody's listening that doesn't know you, Jesus, oh my goodness, Lord, would they respond rightly to the message of the gospel that you came to save and redeem and they respond in repentance and in faith. Lord, as we look at your word, I pray that we would be disciples by the power of your spirit and by your grace. You would empower us to be people who hear and obey your word. And God, that we would be a, a disciple and a church that produces much fruit for your glory and for your name, Jesus. Thank you for this time that we have, God. I pray as we go about our weeks this week, whether we're on spring break traveling or whether we're in our jobs, Lord, we, would we sow the word liberally, God, trusting in not our power, but in the power of the word to transform people and to save people, God. Jesus, we ultimately thank you that you are the word. And that without you coming to this earth, dying in our place and being raised again, none of this would be possible. And we'd all be stuck in hard hearts, shallow hearts, and cluttered hearts. So Jesus, thank you for breaking in and breaking my heart and breaking open our hearts to respond to you in faith and repentance. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. We love you guys as your leadership. We're praying for you. We're praying with you. We look forward to seeing you guys next Sunday here together. Um, as fun as this was, I look forward to meeting together again where we can worship and hear the word together. Love you guys. Use this week as an opportunity to spread the word uh, liberally a lot in people's lives. Be blessed.
Now I have to walk up and actually finish it.